Hello everyone, I'm John Hudson and welcome back to the Spitfire podcast in partnership with IWC Schaffhausen. In today's episode, we'll be talking with Martin Overall, Chief Engineer in the Restoration Department at the Aircraft Restoration Company. The team there have been working on the Silver Spitfire, which will be the plane embarking on the incredible Round the World Expedition, co-sponsored by IWC. And we're going to find just how much time and resource goes into restoring not just this plane, but all vintage Spitfires. Hi Martin, thanks for joining us today and um, telling us a little bit more about the restoration process of this awesome project. So can we start please by just telling us how you got into this game? Uh, well, I've always been interested in aviation from yeah. a child, you know, building airfix kits and uh, radio controlled yeah. aeroplanes and that uh, progressed as I got older. Um, I then did a degree in aerospace engineering at Farnborough oh, wow. um, with the intention of working in the airline industry. Right. Um, which I did for a little while, yeah. but it didn't particularly do it for me, really. You, you didn't tend to mend things, you just changed bits and pieces. Okay. Um, Why is that then? Is that just because of the kind of economic pressures of the airline industry? I, I think so, yeah. You, you, you don't delve into a, to a mechanical thing too much. You send it away to a right. specialist okay. department and they deal with that. You just book a new one out and, and fit it to the aircraft. So a lot of time taking bit off, put bit on. Yes, Right. yeah, yeah. Um, and then the opportunity came to work for Historic Flying, yeah. um, who specialise in the restoration of Spitfires. Oh, wow. I, I thought, this, yes. This sounds good. <laughs> it does. Um, and that was 21 years ago, and I've been there ever since. Oh, wow. So how many aircraft have you worked on then? Uh, probably about 23, 24 Spitfires in total. Really? And that, is that getting them back to airworthiness, or are they just restorations for ground display? No, all airworthy aircraft. Yeah, wow. Um, all come from different different parts of the world and yeah. in different states of of repair. Some are complete restorations uh -huh. from airframes dug out of the ground. Really? Um, some are repairs from accidents. Yeah. And we've also done all the major um, overhauls on the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight, Spitfires and Hurricanes. Oh, you work on those as well? We Yes, in the past, we've uh, right. every six years they they come in for a major yeah. strip down and inspection. Yeah. So we've we've done all of their fighters at one time or another. So it's um, it's a pretty niche job that you've got there, Martin. What's the kind of essential quality then that you think pushes someone towards being good at that kind of process? Uh, well, you've got to have an interest in in old aeroplanes mm. or or old mechanical things. Right. Um, the Spitfire is not a particularly complicated aeroplane okay all, all the systems are, are mechanical there's not m much electronic right. or no electronic stuff there's electrical items but mm. no electronics obviously um, so if someone's got that right mechanical empathy mm. of how to deal with with something mm. and of course we can't change boxes you can't buy yeah. many parts of spitfire off the shelf ready to go so all the parts we have to have to make or assemble from from machine components oh, if, wow. if we can't find original items. Um, Are there any original items still kicking about? You said there's something like 20 airframes that you've done. I'm guessing there's the diminishing returns of spares. There are. You still can find um, original Spitfire parts, but really? they're becoming increasingly difficult. Who has original Spitfire parts in the garage? Collectors oh, have really? parts. Okay. Um, sometimes if, if somebody's granddad has passed away and they, yeah. they go looking through the loft, and he was a, an RAF fitter at the time. Huh. Um, it's been known to, 
to find tower wheels and, and bits and pieces and instruments. <laughs> wow. Where do they um, appear? Surely you don't, what, do you search eBay for bits of Spitfire? Exactly. Really? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> eBay is, a, um, believe it or not, a major source of, is of it really? parts. Um, and uh, aero fares and jumbles and things okay. like that. Yeah. Um, but you get to the point um, where you just know there isn't any more of a particular part left. Right, and, and that, I guess, through just like law of statistics, is the bits that wear out most easily. Bits that wear out and bits that were specific to Spitfires. Right. Um, there's several parts, like a lot of the instruments were fitted to many different types. Oh, okay. So there was, there's much more yep. of those parts around. Um, but Spitfire-specific parts are very difficult to get. Mm. Um, and as each restoration comes and goes, you're into engineering and reverse engineering to manufacture new parts um, to the point where there's not many parts left now that we can't make if needed. Oh, really? Um, so do you ever get asked to build one from scratch? Is that something that's even possible? Almost, yeah. Yeah, really? Yeah. We, we've got the ability to build a brand new Spitfire. Wow. Um, but a spit, you cannot do that. Um, you have to base a... Uh, a restoration on an, an original identity. Well, I didn't know that. So is that a legal um, position or is that just a kind of a moral guarding of an iconic aircraft? Uh, no, I think it's because um, if you classed it as a new build mm. aircraft, it would mm -hmm. have to comply with all various um, specifications okay. of the current time, right. which a Spitfire will not. Right. Um, so therefore you are restoring an aeroplane. Okay. Um, we always start with some parts of that particular aeroplane. What's your kind of minimum amount of bits? You talk, surely you can't get away with like a tyre. No, no. So People think you can you can dig up something from the ground and, right. and end up with a tyre and a few scraps of metal, but uh -huh. the um, Civil and Aviation Authority will not wear that as a project. Okay. You have to show evidence of a substantial amount, mainly the fuselage oh, really? is what they class as the, the identity of the aeroplane. Of the aircraft and there can't be many fuselages left around there's certainly not above ground that haven't already been if they could be restored um there, there are, are there? some fantastic spitfires around but they're in museums oh, um, and museums don't tend to let yeah. aircraft go for restoration right and, and they shouldn't do really because they're a, a time capsule of, of mm. what a spitfire was like at the time um so the majority of current day restorations are uh, airframes that have dug up out of the ground. But so, like, pardon my ignorance, but I'm guessing that the airplane's underground because it crashed. Yes. And then uh, how much of that is actual viable material? Is it kind of a, a numbers game that you've got a twisted bit of fuselage and you can rebuild it? Because it must, it must corrode as well, surely. It depends um, on the environment. Oh, right, um, right. There's aircraft that have come out of deep freshwater lakes that are in fantastic condition huh. unbelievable almost like they've um, been in a deep freeze for yes yeah <laughs> and we've had aircraft that have crashed um, in very cold mountainous regions yeah and again suffer from very little corrosion wow um, although they are badly bent of course mm. um, so it's, it's just a matter of of salvaging what you can mm. um, to include in the in the restoration and then you you can't presumably get um, the two the two wings and the fuselage and make three new spitfires it has to be that was the tail number. This is it being restored. Exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 That must be. Um, it's almost like an archaeological dig then that you start your your restoration process with. It is. Yeah. And, and very interesting as well because you you sometimes see things on airframes that have come mm. out of the ground and 
Oh, I've not seen that on Spitfire. I've not oh, seen really? that in any book. Yeah. And you'll um, you'll discover it was a local modification made by that particular squadron to oh, wow. to get over a, an issue or something that the pilots had discovered would help them um, during combat. So you're like in touch with the the craftsmen of the past as they kind of boxed round issues. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And evidence of of paint and things. There's, mm-hmm. there's often debates on what colour was that painted. You know, was it left bare, green, black? Red, you, you don't, you don't know. But when you find a bit out of the ground, yeah, look, it was, oh, it was brilliant. really black that part. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do then? You get like almost, you're almost into forensics, then, aren't you? You're getting people to identify the component chemicals, almost. That's right. And depending on the customer and the client and and the specification that mm. they request for the aircraft to be built to, um, depends on how deep you go into that that research. Wow. Um, we've done some Mark One aircraft, and the customer particularly wanted them exactly as they were on the day that they um, crashed. Really, um, which is quite difficult because they were very, very early aeroplanes. Mm. So you were going right back into pictures and evidence to mm. find out, you know, to the best that we could how yeah. they exactly were at that time. And that must be. I'm, I'm guessing there's not a huge amount of colour photography on a Mark One Spitfire. It's mostly black and white, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And then you get into the techniques of trying to find colours from black and white photos. Which, oh, which wow. Is, which can be done. There's sorts of yeah. people that can look at the photos because is it yellow? Is it white? You, you can't yeah. tell. Um, That's awesome. So your, your start point is a combination of an archaeological dig a forensic investigation and then a wider kind of human investigation where you're looking at the, the things that come out of the ground that you're identifying. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, but can I just go back a step? Because I'm, I'm, this is so interesting. How do you find the actual Spitfire? Are people, does everyone know where they all are? Are the kind of ones that are historical crash sites that people are aware of? What's the, the start point for that? Generally, yes. Okay. Most of the crash sites are known. Right. Um, sometimes they're not, but sometimes they are. Mm-hmm. So, um, an individual, if he's got the financial means, mm. will um, commission a dig, go and dig that up. There might be a, a local archaeological society, oh, okay, yeah. um, and they'll they'll dig the aeroplane up, and it will it will be laid on the floor. Yeah, um, it might go into museums. Someone might purchase or acquire that wreckage with yeah. the intention of spending an, an awful amount of money to have it restored into a flying aircraft. I remember a um, an instance at the survival school where I work a few years ago now, but. We do a lot of jungle survival training, and a friend and I were approached by some guys who'd heard about some crated Spitfires that had been buried overseas and what they would need to do to mount an exped into sort of tropical regions. And I, I was thinking, this is brilliant. This is a combination of Indiana Jones and kind of you know Biggles. Was that was there any credence in that story? Were there uh, buried Spitfires there to be dug up? And that was um, the Burma that's squadron. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, they did dig, but they didn't find anything. And I'm not sure what's happened since. Right. But I think they were sponsored by a, a major computer game manufacturer. Oh, yeah. Um, who got great publicity from it huh. um, and sponsored the dig. But as far as I'm aware, they didn't find anything. There wasn't a holy grail of Spitfire bits. No. It, and it, it's a fantastic thought. But <laughs> the, the reality <laughs> of finding 12 Spitfires in crates buried yeah. under the ground is... In tropical conditions. is fairly remote, I think. Yeah, that's probably the worst place for those things, kind of things to be left, isn't it? Although they, um, a couple of years ago, we got a call from um, the Orkney Islands. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they were, were digging in an old pit there, mm-hmm. and they found a complete Spitfire wing no. in a rubbish tip. 
which was really oh, wow. interesting. Although I don't think they ever identified what serial number aircraft it came from. Right. Um, but yeah, really interesting yeah, to see that because you, you just wouldn't expect to find a Spitfire on no. a rubbish dip. No, you wouldn't, would you? Yeah. I suppose defending Scarpa flow back in the day, they, they had a few sort of ground loops and bits got thrown away, bits got replaced. Exactly. And being fairly remote, mm. um, it didn't get you know pilfered in the 70s and 80s when a lot of the, the wrecks down this way were, were dug up. Yeah. So if you've got a kind of a known start point with it being a, a at one point what was a smoking hole, but now you've got a kind of a backstory, you can almost, I, I'm guessing now, but you can parallel the human aspect to the the airframe as well if you knew who was the last person to fly it. Yes. Is that something that you, you guys look at as well? Uh, not necessarily on the engineering side, um, but it's the, the owner will look into mm. that if it's of particular mm. interest. Um, one of our last restorations, a two-seater, um, yeah. Spitfire Mark 9, they've really gone into the history of the aeroplane and even written a book about the 10 or 11 pilots that flew it oh, brilliant. during the war. And that must help you a little way if you know the squadrons and you've got that back experience that you've got about the practices that that airfield or that unit were doing. That's right. And also for pictures, if you can find mm. the pilot and his mm. daughter and grandchildren, there may be photos of the aeroplane. Because in the past, we've restored Spitfires with no pictorial evidence really? of them on the squadron. So wow. it would be, wow, look, there's actually a real picture of that aircraft yeah. in service, yeah. um, which sometimes we, we can't find. That's good provenance, I guess, for the owner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And also for you know, when it comes to painting it for the exact camouflage patterns and roundel positions, because they're all a, a little bit different. Just from local variants? Yes. Down the yeah. squadron. Well, I mean, you've kind of answered one of my next questions already, mate, but you, is it still exciting now as it was when you first started working on Spitfires? Yes. Yeah, the big day really is, is what it's all about for me when it first well, initially when it first starts up yeah. is a good achievement. Um, and then the first flight. Yeah. So how many have you um, seen go into the skies, do you think? Uh, complete restorations, um, probably about 10. Really? Um, That's a good number, though, if you say. Well, how, many, how long does it take, do you reckon, from, from start to finish? Two to three years, depending on what we've started with. Yeah. And also the, the customer's pockets. Mm. <laughs> some customers can afford to, to pay as quick as we can build others like to stage over two or three years right um, so we've got a, a balance to to achieve so you've got a kind of a three-year um begins with time team and ends with the the first flight yes and then do you just focus on one airframe at a time or have you got kind of parallel builds going on yeah we have parallel builds um mainly because of the labor side because the spitfire will labor-wise will ramp up as mm. the as the project commences uh, and then in the last sort of three or four months it will wind down as the the sheet metal and the wing team guys finish off okay. and the systems guys get in there to to complete the restoration yeah and then they will start an overlap on the next project and you said earlier that the the team must have a, a an empathy for the airframe and the aircraft and it's a kind of iconic status how many old people are in your teams that do these work uh, we've got 12 people full-time right. yeah um, we've got three different departments a wing team with four guys on mm -hmm. um, we have a systems team with four guys on a paint shop team machine yeah. shop team so they all come together to normally work well to, <laughs> to finish the project 
and that's all very deep specializations isn't it have you have you guys ever kind of done road shows where you as a team would go out for an away day and visited the super marine factory in southampton or anything like that is that kind of is it that kind of a team or are you all just sort of individual specialists we've been go-karting that <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. um and depending on again what we're working on two or three of us will go off to a museum to to inspect a, an yeah. untouched example just to see exactly yeah. how it's done um, yeah. if it's a mark we've not worked on before right um, so just gaining as much evidence as we can yeah and then you must have gigabytes and gigabytes of digital photographs of obscure cowlings and attachments. exactly right yeah, yeah. cowlings and um, as many original drawings as we can get how do you get hold of the original drawings then? a lot of the original drawings are, are held at Hendon the RAF Museum oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and you can browse their list mm-hmm. um, and just order the drawings up mm-hmm. um, in a lot of cases they don't exist the drawings so we've really? sort of reverse engineered if we can get hold of an original component <coughs> yeah um, then we'll draw that and uh, get it manufactured. So you've got your own drafts team as well then? Yeah, drafts team, all our CAD systems and CNC machine shops. That must be kind of, I guess, again, but you're looking at initially a 1940s old school done on a drawing board somewhere in Woolston, and now you're working on CAD with kind of computer-guided milling. What kind of a, um, a difference do you think there is in the skills that you guys have got versus the people who were originally making the bits? completely different I think Um, when you look at some of the original components they're so well made Mm. but without the aid of all this Mm. um, computer technology and um, you look at a part and you think how on earth did they make it and obviously they made thousands of them yeah and sometimes you really have to think and struggle to um, to replicate the components and as time goes on um, it's become more and more important to make the parts exactly as they were. Right. Um, you could machine a part from a, a solid billet of aluminium and it would do the job. Mm. But you could instantly look at that part, compare it to an original and see it was made this year. Oh, okay. It's, it's a different, slightly different shape and yeah. the way it's manufactured. But now with the, the CNC stuff, you can machine a solid part to look like it was in originally a casting oh, or wow. a forging, even with the raised part numbers and that on. Really? So, uh, it's difficult to tell now. That is attention to detail. It is, the nth yeah. degree, isn't it? Yeah, right, and and the same goes for the for the airframe as well. Um, Spitfires were restored 10, 15 years ago. Look fantastic and mm. fly like a Spitfire. But when you get close to them, we call them oh, that's an 80s or a 90s rebuild. Do you really? And it doesn't. You know, we've come a long way with how they've been restored huh. um, in attention to detail and originality. Yeah. And that seems to be what um, clients want. Yeah. Um, no different, I expect, to a classic car. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. Um, when you get into the Concours side of things. So you're proper connoisseurs of Spitfires then? How often then, when you, you begin this process, do you get to a point where you've done absolutely everything you can, but there's something that's insurmountable? I don't know what kind of thing it might be, but you know, there's a there's a, a roadblock to the process. Mainly, that would be parts-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, we may acquire original parts, and upon inspection, they just won't pass our standards to be used oh, in, a, okay. in an airworthy aircraft. Why would that be? Um, wear, tear, corrosion. Yeah. Um, we can repair 
a lot of parts mm-hmm. and um, in some instances it costs more to repair a part than actually make a new one mm. but if you can recover a part it's an original part that you've repaired right. for use in the aircraft and then that's all part of that percentage to guarantee its provenance almost. exactly right uh-huh. yeah um, again I mentioned sort of 80s and 90s rebuild mm, yeah we'll just throw it away and, and make a new one right whereas now every effort is made to, to make sure we'll use as many original parts as we can. Yeah. Um, so it's not that often then that, that you, you reach something that's insurmountable these days? Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. Some parts yeah. are just, we can't use it. Does it's, that it's stop the whole it. project? Not at all, no. Right. No. Um, we'll either look for another one yeah. or, or make one. Right. Um, but people have to remember it's a, an airworthy aircraft, Um and it's got to be right. Mm. You can't, mm. you know, you, perhaps you could fit a bit that was a bit too corroded to your mm. classic car and, and get away with it. But Mm-mm. we get inspected, the CAA come to look. Yeah. Um, the company has its moral rep- obligation and reputation and <laughs> yes. people, fly and, you know, yeah. people fly in these things. So yeah, yeah, yeah. they've got to be right. So, so even though the, um, the bits are getting harder to find and some of them are being dug out of you know, pits in the ground, there's normally a way to, to replicate it. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And if this this is probably a um, a bit of a, a gauche question, but how much does it cost then? Depends what you start with. Yeah. But um, anything between 1.5 and 3.5 million. Wow. Um, if you come to us with your Spitfire project in a wheelbarrow, um, <laughs> you're, you're around the 3 million mark. Okay. If, if you come to us with um, something that, resembles the Spitfire right. then it's going to be less okay yeah. and that's the flying standard yes so yeah. a wheelbarrow full of bits out of a peat bog yeah three and a half mil yeah blimey it's not a uh, not a poor man's game this no, is it? it's not no <laughs> um and that it doesn't end there either i mean you've, you've got to operate the aircraft right um, so insurance is around fifty thousand a year is it um relatively fuel is not an issue because everything else is expensive so you've got to fuel it maintain it Mm-hmm. Without drawing any names, um, how how would you characterise or caricature the people who turn up to you with bits of Spitfire that want a, a flying one at the end of it? What kind of a person does that? Obviously um, wealthy. <laughs> yeah, well, not always. Okay, um, right. Some people are, are scraping the barrel to do it, but it's really? their passion. Wow. Um, they have different ways of of going about getting a flying Spitfire, and it might take them 15, 20 years to achieve that. Really? Um, on the other hand, you have people, uh, money's no object. Right. I'd like a Spitfire, how how quick can I have one? Hmm. Um, obviously, they're easy to work with those guys sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it depends. Um, and you you work and budget and, and plan the project according to the the client's needs and, and mm. ability to, to fund it. So... Based on that that kind of start point, then what, what can you tell me about the Silver Spitfire and this specific aeroplane? Where did it come from when you first saw it, and what kind of a state was it in? Um, I was first asked to survey the aeroplane back in two thousand and five mm-hmm. um, when it was in a museum museum in Holland. All oh, right. Um, did some research on the airframe. It was a Castle Bromwich built airplane in nineteen forty three. It entered squadron service in '44. Mm-hmm. Carried out various missions of bomber support, dive bombing, um, until the end of the war when it was overhauled after being damaged. 
Mm. Um, How was it damaged? It was on a dive bombing mission, yeah. and the bombs didn't release for oh. some reason, and the pilot pulled out of the dive with bombs still attached, which overstressed the wings. Right. Um, and I believe the wings would actually crease and crinkle. They, they didn't come off, oh, wow. but they were damaged mm. um, beyond repair. So it needed a wing change, right. um, which was carried out at a repair facility in the UK. Mm -hmm. When that was completed, it then went to the um, Netherlands Air Force. Oh, yeah. Um, who fortunately didn't scrap it at the end of the war or sell it on to mm. a, another country, and it ended up in a, in a museum. Um, some of the time it sat on a roof outside, I think, for 15 odd years. Did it? Um, and then it was sort of sympathetically overhauled by museum staff. Yeah. Um, and was an exhibit. Uh, so we, yeah, as I say, we looked at it in 2005. Um, I think at the time the museum was hard up for money mm. and uh, we managed to, to buy the airframe and swap uh, another couple of airplane and bits and pieces. Mm. It came up with a deal, so we acquired the Spitfire, which is which is quite rare these days because museums really like to hold on to them. Yeah, and so, and so they should. Mm. Mm. Um, so we had it at Duxford and um, assembled it and it sat around in the hangars until one day... Um, Bought B and Silver Spitfire purchased it and commissioned uh, a restoration. Right. Um, initially, it was going to be a two-seat Spitfire for oh, the okay. um, yep. for the ride business, which we winced at really because it was such a an original nice airframe, and it would have been a, a sin really mm. to um, chop it around and mess it about to make it into a two-seater. Right. Um, we've got several Mark Nine projects which would have been a better candidate to do I that see. with. Right. Um, really, this one was, was too nice an example. A pure do. restoration job. Yes. Yeah. Um, and eventually, I think after a bit of badgering by several people, they changed their mind and yeah. um, we started it as a single-seat rebuild. Um, in fact, they've changed their mind quite a bit <laughs> through <laughs> the process. Um, uh, and then it was announced of its intended round-the-world mission. Yeah. So yeah. that changed things quite a bit from our point of view. What kind of changes did you have to make? Uh, fuel system right, is yeah. the big one. Mm -hmm. um, so we've removed the, the gun systems from the wing. Mm -hmm. uh, in place of those, it's got uh, flexible bag tanks. Oh, right, okay. So we can carry an extra 50 gallons in the wings. Which is quite a lot for a Spitfire, isn't it? Yeah, that'll give you hour and 15 minutes mm. extra mm. at cruise power. Um, and then they wanted a rear tank behind oh, yeah. the pilot. Right. Um, which is a an engineering pain, really. Is it? But it's an original Spitfire mod from from late aircraft. Yeah. Um, and then I think as time progressed and the the journey legs became longer. Yeah. Um, they needed the resurance of a bit more fuel. Okay. Um, so we went for another rear tank. Oh so wow. So we've got um, sixty five gallons of fuel behind the pilot. So this is quite a novel aeroplane now, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Um, they're original tank modifications, but um, with the rear tanks, the aeroplane becomes, I've heard, unpleasant to uh, fly. Right, okay. um, so the aim of the game is to burn those rear tanks off as quick as you can right. to get, get some balance. Yeah, better handling out of it and then burn the wings and then you've got your standard 90 gallons left in the fuse. So is it, has it gone from being a, an original kind of dive bomber to more like a photo reconnaissance setup where they were long range? Is it Not really, tanks? no. No, it was originally designated as a low altitude fighter. Okay. Um, so it had the standard 
ninety gallons in the or eighty five gallons in the fuselage. Yeah. Um, the photo reconnaissance aircraft have a lot bigger tanks in the leading edges, uh, okay. which is is a very difficult and expensive modification. Yeah. So um, we've gone with the easier fuel right. in the wings. I see, and that also can be um, removed if required at a later date to right. to bring the aircraft back into stock. Got you. If um, if need be, one day. I see. Whereas the the other mods are pretty much a permanent job. Right, and that I'm just thinking out loud, but that is. Because there was a camera in the back, they couldn't put a tank where your tank's going to be in the photo ones. Uh, there wasn't a camera in this. this Not one. in this one, sorry, but the photo reconnaissance ones. Correct. Right, yes. right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know they had tanks in the leading edges though. Well, that's that's fascinating. What about the the Mark Nine itself then? Is that is that one of the simpler ones to restore? Yes. And why is yes. that? It's um, it's a fairly late modification aircraft. Mm -hmm. It's very pilot friendly, not right. like the early aeroplanes. Um, it doesn't overheat. As easily as the early aeroplanes. Okay. Um, it's got the constant speed propeller, right? Um, which all adds to it being a fantastic flying machine. Yeah. Do you make the propellers as well? Is that something that you guys do? No, propellers are overhauled by a company, um, Skycraft, near to Duxford. Mm -hmm. um, the propeller is a completely new unit with a new hub. Um, blades, believe it or not, are made in Germany. Oh yeah. Um, and then they're certified by a company in the UK to original specifications. Right. Um, wooden blades. Oh, right, okay. So Yet more craftsmanship involved. Indeed, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. fantastic. Well, when you see one that's broken, the, the, the laminates and layers are impressive. Wow, I bet. Hi, I'm Justin Hast, writer and photographer. If you're enjoying the Spitfire podcast, why not take a look at my video series, Time Flies, where IWC museum curator Dr. David Cipher and I compare and contrast pilot's watches, old and new, carefully detailing what makes each model unique. You can find the series on IWC Watch's YouTube channel or search hashtag IWC Heritage. Win the day, folks. So back to the, the Mark 9 that you're restoring for the Silver Spitfire project. Are there any other things we've spoken at length about the, the fuel system and uh, and that part of the the airframe? Are there any other things that you've had to factor in to do with the the kind of terrain that they'll be flying over, the risks involved in the journey itself? Um, avionics in it, a uh, uh, modern day avionics. So it's got okay. GPS and transponders and right. emergency location transmitters, mm -hmm. sat phones, etc. Oh, wow. et so How did you fit all that into? A, a um, we haven't done yet. <laughs> We're still looking for some spaces. Um, we've got an uh, active oxygen system in it as well okay. because um, some of the legs require it to go over ten thousand feet. Mountainous areas, I guess. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, as for the risks. Um, the aeroplane doesn't really know any different to where it is. Mm. Um, obviously, the pilot does. Mm. Risks really are forced landing in the event of, of engine failure. Yeah, sure. Um, generally, in the UK, you can find a field or a space in mm. which to, to force land. Um, over mountainous areas, not so. Mm. Um, so it's either going to uh, hurt you or you're going to have to make that decision to, to bail out. Right. Um, same goes for for the water crossings as well. Mm, mm. Um, the pilot's notes say, "Do not ditch the airplane, abandon it." Right. Um, Is that big radiators on the bottom of the wing tipping yes, over? Yes. Yeah, I think it, it right. pretty quickly nose dives in. Right. Um, if you bang your head, then you're not going to have a chance to get out before it sinks. Got you. Um, 
So I think Matt is is obviously going to have that plan mm. well and truly sorted of yeah. what he's going to do in the event that that happens. I mean, there's no time to, shall I stay with it? Shall I bail out? Yeah. You know, he's going to have to know, right, I'm getting out. Yeah. Um, I know there's always that from a pilot point of view, you want to save the aeroplane if, mm. if you can mm. belly land it so it can be recovered and mm. to fly again. That That's the aim, but... I think some of the terrain that they're flying over, then that's not going to be the case. It's, you're going right. to lose the aeroplane. Um, but priority is the Preserve pilot. life, yeah. Exactly, yes. What, what about the uh, the climates that it will be going through then? Does that going to present any problems for you as a restoration guy? Is there anything you're having to foresee to do with hot and humid or cold and dry? Does that affect it? Not particularly, no. The Spitfire operated in all theatres during the war uh-huh. um, in really cold weather. Um, they used to dilute the oil with uh, okay. fuel right. um, to make it easier for starting. In really hot weather, they, they had tropical radiators with, with more surface area. Mm. Um, Is that something that the, the guys around visiting using, or are you not? No, I think once once the aircraft is actually airborne, um, cooling is not an issue at all. Yeah. Um, the problem they will have is on the ground in hot countries, and mainly air traffic understanding or in this case not understanding the spitfire right you can't leave it ticking over no when you've landed you need to turn off the runway and park pretty quick you can't hold for five minutes because you'll just have to shut down yeah Um, i'm sure matt will experience some of that where he goes Um, but the support airplane has tow bars in it so they'll they'll tow it to where it needs to go yeah um but no i don't actually envisage too many problems well, not fingers crossed, but the, air, <laughs> the aircraft should should operate and it, it should be a relatively easy life for the aeroplane because yeah. they're big, long, steady legs. It's not yep. taking off and landing every 10, 15 minutes doing um, passenger rides. Um, I suppose that's less hammer on it, isn't it? Because the landings are going to be the, the That's right, lower, yeah, yeah, there's less cycles. It, he's getting yeah. airborne and it's set up at a nice steady cruise and should hopefully purr along for two or three hours without any issues. Yeah, so you've got the updated avionics suite, or the nav suite, I should say. We know that there's some limitations from what you just said about what can and can't be done on the ground and in the air with the, the climatic extremes. Have you managed to, I don't know, squeeze in any creature comforts for the pilots with these long legs? No, <laughs> no. Um, not sure how long-lasting Matt's bladder is, but I think that's going to be potentially an issue. Um there's the support aircraft as well, which should take some of the load from mm-hmm. in terms of, of radio, and right. that will have all the, the weather kit in as well. Okay, so yeah. um, should be able to steer him out of trouble if yeah. if there's weather ahead. Um, because obviously the Spitfire is a, is a VFR aeroplane, so it can't fly in cloud. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that could delay in some regions, couldn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 But he's not asked for anything specific towards... I don't know, keeping him warm at altitude, that kind Definitely of Definitely not, no. No, he'll have to dress accordingly, I think. <laughs> Nor would you consider it. No. This is an authentic restoration. No. I think some of the aeroplanes did have um, heated gloves and boots and things like mm. that, but uh, uh, not fitting them to this one. Oh, well. <laughs> it's last, I suppose. So the last thing I would, I'd love to chat about is this restoration business that you're in and the, the kind of future of it. I know from what you said that there are less and less airframes available, there's less and less parts available. What about people like you? Are you a, uh, a dwindling resource as well, Mike? Um, we have uh, apprenticeship schemes. Oh, young yeah. lads come in. Um, as I mentioned before, it's the young lads that mm. tinker with 
old motorbikes and old cars yeah. that seem to have have the best hand at this sort of thing um some of them turn out to be great lads and have been mm. with us 10 15 years um others have the enthusiasm um but just not the empathy to carry on so uh, okay um, i think every three years we we look for another batch to bring through d um, some of them have their own interests some want to get involved in the maintenance side as opposed to the restoration or really? the painting side yeah. or the sheet metal side and it, is this generally speaking people who've not really been involved with vintage aircraft before or do you get guys who want to work on spitfires with you it, it depends what we're after um obviously the the apprentice intake is for the young lads mm -hmm. um if one of the more experienced guys leave then um, mm. we're looking for another experienced aircraft mm. guy on the sheet metal side, a lot of our guys come from Marshall's Aerospace at Cambridge, oh, and yeah. they run a, an excellent apprenticeship. Right. And um, we have some really good sheet metal guys that started uh, in the Marshall's apprenticeship. Yeah. Um, on the system side and mechanical side, again, they're not all aircraft people, they're um, people who are enthusiastic on, yeah. on mechanical things. That's the thing I'm picking up from all the team involved with the Silver Spitfire is the, the inherent enthusiasm for Spitfires and the project itself. That's right. And, of course, most of the guys can earn a lot more money you know, in the commercial environment of, right. of airliners. So you, you've got to have that love and enthusiasm mm. for the Spitfire. Yeah. Um, and some people look at it as a paid hobby, um, which helps. Yeah, but yeah. so without wishing to fill your inbox... But if, <laughs> but if if I was like a, a youngish um, teenager now wanting to get into this business, maybe, I don't know, interest in flying, but want specifically to get involved in the job you do, what would you recommend to them? How would you advise that they start that path? Uh, I would try and get some work experience at yeah. a at an airfield, yep. um, particularly ones that run old aeroplanes, just to get the feel of, of them and, and how they operate and what goes on. And then keep an eye on, on our website where we have um, job opportunities from time to time. What's the website, mate? Aircraft Restoration Company. Cool. Dot com. So you said uh, earlier, Martin, that you've had the, the pride and pleasure of watching a few of your restoration projects take to the sky. How's it going to feel now, then, this Silver Spitfire project coming to an end? What would you think will be your, uh, your response to seeing it airborne once again? A uh, little bit of relief <laughs> um, and pride. Um, we've got a great team at uh, Duxford aircraft restoration company who yeah. who we've worked pretty hard on this and everybody is has been enthused to to what the aircraft is hopefully going to achieve um we are up against it at the moment time wise mm. um the airplane is due to fly in about a month's time is it um, we've still got a little way to go but uh, most of the major parts are now here good well that's been brilliant mate thanks very much for chatting to us martin and um fingers crossed that the last few bits of restoration go as smoothly as the other bits have fantastic projects can't wait to see it fly myself no problem at all pleasure cheers thank you listeners for taking the time to listen to today's show and thank you to martin for his great contribution it's easy to forget when you see a Spitfire flying today just how much it took to get it back into the sky. We're dealing with some incredibly old planes, especially in aviation standards, and it's due to people like Martin that we still have the opportunity to see Spitfires fly today. The final two episodes of the series are going to be delving a little deeper into the longest flight expedition, 
starting with a look at the logistics and planning that go into taking a Spitfire around the world. I hope you'll join me again for that, and until then, goodbye.